You're listening to the newest episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life with your host, Kim Olver. Hi, this is Kim and welcome to the 28th episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. Today we'll be talking about coaching your employees instead of managing them. Most managers I've worked with have been some version of the dictatorial leader or the laissez-faire manager I spoke of in last week's podcast. As a result, the dictator managers are mostly critical of their direct reports, while the laissez-faire managers are mostly excusing their direct reports. There is very little learning going on in either of those situations. Those being managed by dictators become broken down, unhappy, and believe the boss is completely unfair and work to do the bare minimum necessary to avoid criticism. Those managed by the laissez-faire manager think their boss doesn't care about how they do their work, so why should they? And they tend to work to also do the bare minimum. The empowered leader knows how to balance expressing their expectations, listening to their worker for their thoughts and ideas, while co-developing the expectations for the work. Then they empower their employees to do the work, while self-evaluating their effectiveness. As mentioned in last week's podcast, self-evaluation only works when those doing the evaluating trust the person they are sharing their evaluation with and they have agreed upon criteria for the work. In those instances where an employee doesn't perform as expected or is being asked to do something new, the empowered leader employs coaching instead of managing for optimum learning potential. When a person is being belittled or criticized by the dictator boss, they tend to shut down, stop listening, and entertain thoughts of how wrong their boss is, causing them to lose any instructive pieces the boss may say. When a person is being supported, yet again, by the laissez-faire manager, they begin to wonder if the boss is even paying attention to their work. They know their own work is shoddy, but the laissez-faire manager may praise their work or say nothing at all, hoping to avoid conflict. The empowered leader, while leaving self-evaluation to their employees, does not stop doing their own evaluations. It isn't possible to stop evaluating when you have a picture in your head of the quality you want. You will know when that quality is reached and when something falls short. Asking your workers to self-evaluate simply places the onus of responsibility on them for producing quality work. If they don't, it's the leader's job to do something about that. Criticism and berating a person never help. The dictator leader would think of punishment as the best way to correct an employee. They may be criticized, yelled at, shamed, lose privileges, or be demoted. None of these remedies will correct the problem. Cellular biologist Bruce Lipton talks about cells being only in two positions. They're either open for growth or closed for protection. When they're open, they can learn and grow. When they're closed, they are looking for escape or a fight. The only learning that takes place in that instance involves learning how to avoid the punisher or getting better at doing what they've been doing undetected. Ignoring mistakes and shoddy work will only produce more of that. The laissez-faire manager won't address poor behavior for fear of damaging the relationship or causing conflict. Instead, they'll let it go unaddressed or will do the work themselves, resulting in missed learning opportunities for the employee. When a person's manager doesn't notice when their work is substandard, they begin to wonder why they should put extraordinary effort into anything if subpar is good enough for the boss. 
The boss may avoid conflict, but will never get a person's best effort. The way to work through this with someone is with coaching. Coaching puts the responsibility for the work where it belongs, on the person assigned the work. They are the expert of their own output. The leader is the expert on co-verifying the work completed and helping their direct reports to evaluate their work on a deeper level. When you're going to coach your employees instead of manage them, some pre-work will need to be done. You want your people to understand the coaching process and the reason you plan to transition to that approach. Focus on the needs it will meet for your employees and what the benefits will be for them. Coaching, well done, has the potential to satisfy a lot of basic needs for your employees. First, it provides a safe atmosphere because a coach would never criticize or put down workers or the work they've done. Coaches know everyone is doing the best they can at any given moment to get what they want, so they don't criticize. It meets the connection need because you're building a trust and rapport as you go. Your employees are learning that you really want them to do well in their jobs and are willing to work together with them to accomplish success. It meets the significance need since you're building competence in your people as you go. People want to excel in their work. It's important to them. When you help them grow and become more competent, they will experience more significance and knowledge that they're making a difference. Coaching also meets the freedom need because as you coach, you're communicating to your employees that you trust them to do good work and to evaluate that work. You aren't micromanaging. You're setting the stage for greater and greater independence, and that feels good. It can also meet the need for joy in one's work. Little feels better than the discovery learning that takes place during a coaching session. There is delight in discovering ways to improve and do one's job better or at a higher level of competence. This is the first step of coaching, creating the need-satisfying relationship with your people. They need to know you're someone they can be honest with without fear of consequences, who cares about them as a person, who listens to and respects them, who provides them as much freedom as they can responsibly manage, and who creates joy in learning in the workplace. After this, the next step is to create the standards of quality for their job overall, as well as for any special projects they've been assigned. You would sit down with your employee to discuss what you want and what you're thinking about that. You gather information about what your employees think about it as well. If you're in agreement, then great. If not, you negotiate your differences until you have something you are both happy about. Should you encounter any resistance, you want to assess if they understand what they're being asked to do, if they know how to do it, if the system supports what you're asking them to do, and whether they actually want to do it. If you find they don't truly understand what you're asking them to do, then you need to provide further explanation until they do. If they don't know how to do it, you'll either need to demonstrate or provide them training in the areas where they are deficient. If the system doesn't support what you're asking, you'll need to evaluate and change the system or change your request. If the person doesn't want to do it, you will first need to work at explaining the usefulness for your employee on what you're asking them to do. For more on this, please listen to last week's podcast entitled Empowered Leadership. Once you have agreed upon standards and have worked through any resistance, you'll want to create the time expectations so there is no misunderstanding about when you need what you're asking for. 
If you want check-ins along the way to ensure the project is going according to plan, then build that into the standards. If everything goes according to plan, your employees will need little coaching. But if they encounter difficulties, you'll need to have conversations. There is a lot of variety that can be used in coaching, but the main thing is to act as a curious questioner rather than a counselor or a consultant. As the counselor, you might become too involved in your employee's personal life. Empowered leaders definitely care what's happening in their workers' lives, but they don't attempt to help them fix those problems. That is definitely not their role. As a consultant, the leader tells the workers what is best without seeking their opinions or empowering them to be the masters of their own domain, their work. The coach is there to provide information when needed, but mostly to skillfully ask self-evaluation questions to facilitate their employees' learning and capacity. While having a coaching session, the empowered leader begins with the shared picture of quality that was initially developed to provide clarity to the questioning process, making sure they're speaking of the same thing. So the first question after typical greetings would be something like, just to clarify, are we talking today about the project or job we discussed last week? Has anything changed between then and now? These two questions focus the session and provide the worker with the opportunity to provide updates. For example, progress may be slower or faster than anticipated. You may learn that their part of the job can't be completed until another person provides their part of the project. You might find out that priorities have shifted because of an emergency or someone else's demand on their time. You may discover the person had used a couple of sick days and is now behind. You might find out there's something systemic getting in the way of success. Whatever you learn is critical to the process. The next question would be something like, given what you've just told me and the standards you and I created last week, what do you suggest we do? Whatever their answer is to this question prompts the next question. What do you anticipate the ripple effects of your suggestion will be? If they're clear about those effects and have answers to manage them, then you would give your approval for the suggestion brought forward. If there are things they haven't considered, it would be prudent to ask, have you considered or thought about blank? How would your decision impact that? Should there be things the person is not privy to, then you would provide the information about other things that could be impacted by the suggestion in a neutral manner, simply as information to consider. Then you ask, does this information change your suggestion in any way? The goal is to make sure you both have the same information about the issue. If you and your employee agree on the next course of action, great. If not, you might need to negotiate your differences because you are functioning in a dual role. You aren't only a coach, you're also a leader. This means you have an agenda to attend to. You need to get your needs met too, and sometimes you also need to advocate for the needs of the company. A peer coaching relationship is one in which your client's needs are paramount. Not so when you are the leader. Your employees' needs are important, but yours are equally important. When you're negotiating an outcome with an employee, you, as the leader, need to first state what your concerns are. If you agree to your employee's plan of action, what do you fear will happen? State those concerns. Ask your employee what they think about those concerns. See if they have ideas to circumvent what you're concerned about. Keep talking about it until you both are pleased with the solutions you negotiate. 
If this is a non-negotiable, meaning that your way on this is the only way it can go, please do not put up the facade of asking for your employees' input. Whatever they have to say won't sway your opinion. This should not happen often and should only be used in areas where you would say, you can probably find somewhere where what you want to do would be okay, but you can't do it here. Usually non-negotiables are reserved for things that violate the health and safety of employees or customers. Some examples are, you can't come to work under the influence of illegal drugs. You can't form personal relationships with clients when you work in a social service agency. You can't build with substandard materials putting safety at risk for the end user, etc. If you're addressing a non-negotiable, then you need to simply state what has to happen, explain why it's a non-negotiable if further explanation is needed, and ask for your employee's commitment to do what you're asking. If the employee doesn't agree, or agrees but then later doesn't follow through, if it's a hard non-negotiable, they need to be fired. If it's a soft non-negotiable, meaning you don't always fire people for it, then you'll have to have another conversation about the infraction and possibly notate the incident in their file. An example I use, although flawed, is pretend you have a McDonald's franchise and you hire a new worker to make the Big Macs. He understands what you're asking him to do and you have trained him on the how. The system has been created for his success. You find when you check on him, he isn't making Big Macs, he's making Whoppers instead. Hence the flaw. I know you can't make flame-broiled Whoppers with the McDonald's grill, but pretend with me. When you confront him about it, he responds with, I know you want me to make Big Macs, but Whoppers are so much better. I'm sure you'll get more customers this way. You explain to him it's a non-negotiable. McDonald's doesn't serve Whoppers. You tell your worker you could lose your franchise and Burger King may even sue and you give him another chance. You don't try to negotiate what your employee wants to do. If your employee follows through on making Big Macs, all is well. If, however, he continues to make Whoppers, you have four possible paths, possibly more. One, you could fire him on the spot, a dictator move. Two, you ignore the problem altogether to avoid the confrontation, a laissez-faire move. Three, you could transfer this person to a different job, maybe put them on the counter so they are not making food anymore. Or four, you can discuss the passion this person has for Whoppers and negotiate with him to make Big Macs or to work the counter while together you work on getting him a job across town at Burger King. An empowered leader would be happiest with the final option because it's a win-win-win solution meaning the leader is happy because she won't have an unhappy employee and can hire someone happy to produce Big Macs. The employee will be happy because he gets to make the Whoppers he loves and he'll be appreciated for that. And the relationship gets stronger for having worked out the solution, which means the employee won't be bad-mouthing her or McDonald's after leaving there. A true win-win-win. I had a similar situation as a supervisor in the foster care agency where I worked. I had an employee that I trained in choice theory. She took the training with other enthusiastic people but didn't seem impressed. When I asked her about it later, she admitted that she didn't like choice theory. Of course, I was dumbfounded because I love choice theory and couldn't understand what she wouldn't like about it. This woman said, I want to tell kids what to do and just have them do it. I admit I was surprised by that answer because it's the opposite of my values and beliefs, 
but I asked, do you know where you can go that you'd be able to do that? Her answer, juvenile probation. I instantly knew she was right. At the time, that was the mindset of juvenile probation. Kids were in trouble, and it was the officer's job to tell them what to do to keep them in line, and if they weren't compliant, then they would be punished. This suited my worker quite well. We made a pact that day. She agreed to apply to juvenile probation and to do the best she could to use choice theory while at the foster care agency, and I agreed to call up my contacts at probation and put in a good word for her. It took about six months, but she was hired at probation and told me later she was quite happy there. I was thrilled because we parted on good terms and I got to hire someone to replace her who was a great practitioner of choice theory. An empowered leader using coaching looks at discipline in a different way. Discipline and punishment are not synonymous. The Latin roots of both words are quite different. Punishment means to inflict pain, while discipline means to teach. In this way, an employee is in need of discipline, needs teaching, not punishment. The empowered leader understands how important it is to learn from mistakes. There will always be a conversation around mistakes or shoddy work. It's the conversation that provides the discipline. The empowered leader works to create self-discipline in their employees by using the questioning process. The first question is to ask what the employee was trying to make happen. Then ask what they did and continue to do to move in the direction of the goal. A good follow-up question to ask is, is there anything you did or continue to do that's getting in the way of achieving the goal? It's typical at this point when the person may try to shift blame for the failure onto someone or something else they don't control. The leader coach would then explain that they are not interested in what other people did or didn't do. They're most concerned with what the person they're speaking with did because that person can only control their own actions. If something happened that prevented their success, then the next question would be, given that what you said occurred, what did you do to move forward toward the goal? The employee is always 100% responsible for their actions or lack thereof, even when other people or circumstances make things difficult. If you're aware of any behaviors, either that contributed towards the goal or got in the way of it, you can add them to what the employee brings up. When you have all the behaviors, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you ask the employee whether or not the behavior is working to accomplish the goal. There are many possible answers they could give. They may say yes. I don't know. Yes, but not fast enough. I'm not sure. Partly or no. The most important thing here as a coach is that you don't answer this question. The learning comes in the self-evaluation. If you answer whether their behavior is working to accomplish the goal, then you have disrupted their learning. What they're learning then is that you don't care, that their own behavior doesn't matter, and perhaps even that you are unfair. Allow them to answer and then explore what they mean if they haven't provided a definitive yes or no. Once you see how they are evaluating their progress, you can ask, are you satisfied with that? The goal is to help them come up with a plan they can implement immediately that will help them move forward and get the job done. Sometimes adjustments need to be made. You may have to touch base with another employee on getting their part done. You might need to take on some of the employee's other work responsibilities so he or she can focus exclusively on the goal. 
you might want to alter the deadline or bring additional people on to share the load. The idea is to have your employees seeing you as a collaborator in their success while still holding them accountable for their agreements. Making adjustments doesn't mean you're letting the person slack off. It simply means things didn't go as planned and that can be changed. You focus on the plan going forward and make whatever adjustments will contribute to the success of the organization. In your new plan, it would be prudent to look at what previously got in the way of success and come up with solutions to address those roadblocks so they aren't stopping progress in the future. This is another point where learning happens. If you're listening to this podcast and are wondering about the time it takes to coach, you have a valid point. It's much easier to just tell people what to do. The problem with doing that is you're creating employees who are dependent upon your direction. They will become too scared to make any decisions on their own, and when they run into problems, they'll wait for your availability before problem solving. If you want to create a team of problem solvers, you need to invest the time up front to get the behaviors you're working on for the future. It's one of those situations where you can pay now or pay more later. I choose to invest my time up front so I can have people who are constantly learning and growing while becoming able to anticipate problems before they develop and feel empowered to solve them on their own without fear of reprisal from me. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you're interested in learning more about empowered leadership, you may go to www.therelationshipcenter, spelled the American way, C-E-N-T-E-R, dot biz, that's B as in boy, I as in India, Z as in zebra, forward slash shop, and check out my ebook with the same title, Empowered Leadership. I hope you'll join me next week when I talk about creating a need-satisfying environment at work. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at www.therelationshipcenter.biz forward slash podcast and remember to subscribe.